0: Welcome to Paperback Readers.
1: I'm Joe, that's Julie, and once more around the bend, the end of the year approaches, but uh, I guess this is the penultimate show of 2022, <laughs> not the last one.
0: I have not read as much as I thought I would by the end of this year.
1: And meanwhile, I found a book that I'd read and forgot to talk about <laughs> about a month ago, so suddenly my, my list looks real robust, but it's kind of an optical illusion.
0: Well, we'll get my short one knocked out of the way, and then you can talk about this robust list.
1: Oh, it's fascinating stuff.
0: <laughs> you read good stuff. I don't know why you act like you don't. <laughs> it's
1: actually, it was a pretty good but set and a pretty diverse one, so.
0: Okay, well, here's mine. The first book that I finished over the last two weeks is called The Measure by Nikki Ehrlich, and it was definitely my favorite book of these last two weeks. I really, really liked it. I told you about this a little bit. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the one where it's an ordinary morning, but people wake up and they find boxes. And there's a note on the top that says something like, in this box is the measure of your life. And inside every box is a string. And it tells how long your life is going to be. And so the question kind of at the heart of the book is, do you look? (laughs) Would you want to find out? And then what do you do once you do know? And I guess really the real question is, like, what actually makes a life? Is it the length of it? Is it... Or is it the amount of life that you live there? Is it the legacy that you leave on behind you? What what do you value in a life? What makes a life worthwhile? So this book follows a really um, cool cast of characters who each find their box and then have to make their decisions about it. They're all in different life situations. They're all they all are connected by various things throughout the story, um, even if they don't necessarily all know or you know each other or be really like best friends or whatever but they all have these connections and i was most interested i think in the way that we as a society will use anything that we can to discriminate against each other if you have a long string, then it must be better than a short string. And can we even, like, do we even want to be friends with people who are not going to make it very oh, long wow. anyway? Do we want, what do we want to do with these people? They so, don't
1: think much about inheritance. I think those are the best friends. <laughs> to <Stick laughs> out the short string. All people. of those
0: but, all okay. of those questions and the, the discriminations and the um, restrictions that echo so many things that we see going Weird. on with prejudices today too. yeah. Very yeah. yeah. true. But also just the idea that um, for me, the main thing I took out of this book was the reminder that whatever length your life, it's the way that you spend it, which doesn't necessarily mean going out and being wild and crazy. It means, you know, the love that you have to give to other people around you. Anyway, I thought it was really interesting. I think I would not look in my box. What do you think?
1: No, I absolutely wouldn't. That's what I was thinking when you described this. I I would regard that as almost an inherent sin, partially on theological grounds. It, it feels a little bit like eating the apple off the tree of knowledge.
0: I don't know. But uh,
1: and partially because I saw Back to the Future, and nobody should know too <laughs> much about their own destiny. Doc Brown taught me that. Hey,
0: first of all, you didn't just see Back to the Future. You saw it like 8,000 times. I lived it, right. <laughs> But that's another story. <laughs> I just, I love how this book points out too that all of the, it's really easy for us to sit here and say, oh, I wouldn't look indifferent when you've got a box in front of you and the choice to make. I don't and, open
1: Christmas presents early. I sure as shoot I'm not opening the box. I
0: think, <laughs> I really think that at this point in my life I would not open the box. But there was a time in my life when I would have.
1: Well, it would change everything in how you approach things. And, and again, falsely so. Yeah, you, the, the conclusions you would draw from one piece of knowledge without any context that goes with it
0: that's one of the would things be that was terrible. pointed out about the long strings in the book so yeah you're going to live a long life are you going to be in a coma yeah, you're not right. invincible Right. so
1: or you could live a long and miserable life is yeah. is that really to be sought after yeah I, i'm not opening the box
0: anyway this book was refer- was uh, recommended to me by maria um, on instagram uh-huh. And I just, I thought it was absolutely fabulous. She It's a talked, great
1: concept. Yeah, no she and
0: I talked about it a little bit on Instagram. And I highly recommend this book to anybody who is interested in these ideas. If I get
1: time, I'm going to check it out. I mean, it's one of those that intrigues me and you're on a hot streak with stuff that you talk well of, but <laughs> you know, there are so many right now.
0: Well, I told you when I was reading this, I thought that you would really like it. Um, but I did not think that you would want to jump it to the top of your list right now. And you really needed to get Demon Copperhead, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yes. All right, then I read Bread and Wine by Shauna Nyquist, which is, I don't know, like an 18th reread for me. you've read that
1: many times. I have.
0: I'm going through Shauna Nyquist's books again. And this one I just read really slowly and just looked at all the ways in which she really talks about food and what it means to bring people together. And I thought about all the other ways besides food that we use to bring people together. So this one was kind of a unique reread for me. I I can't recommend Shauna Nequist highly enough. She's amazing. And then the last one I read was Love Your Life by Sophie Kinsella. She is a prolific writer whom I had never read anything by, I think. But I was at the library the other day. I had some time to kill before I picked up our kids. I had returned some books and I was just kind of wandering the shelves. And this one was um, on an end cap and the cover got my attention and I thought, well, why not? And it was a really sweet, really good book. Um, The premise is that you have these two people who they're from London, but they actually meet at a writer's retreat in Italy. And it's a retreat where they because they're they're just to focus on writing. They cannot tell their real names, um, their jobs. They even, like, wear a uniform here at this writer's retreat. So that's where they meet, and that's where they fall in love, and it's like this beautiful Italian getaway. And then they try to bring this back into the real world, where they do find out about each other, and their habits get on each other's nerves, and they don't like each other's apartments, and they're overwhelmed by each other's friends, and... What does it really mean to make up a lasting relationship, and um, what does it mean to actually be in love with someone? Those are questions this book looked to answer, and I just thought it was really sweet and very enjoyable.
1: Doing this in Italy just makes no sense. I, you you had to like physically calm <laughs> me down because you said this, and I'm like, why on earth would you do that in Italy? Why wouldn't you do that like? I know the University of Iowa is always legendary for its its writing program, and I get that. That makes perfect sense. What else is there to do in Iowa? You're like, I look out the window, and it's just flat earth as far as the eye can see. I think I'll write a masterpiece.
0: Why wouldn't you want to go write somewhere gorgeous with good food?
1: You're not subject to distraction very much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, you write for a while, you eat for a while, you write for a while, you look at pretty things. It's just... I think it sounds absolutely wonderful, and you can sign (laughs) me up tomorrow. I'd go in a heartbeat. You
1: better not be searching for some dude. (laughs) Well, I was going
0: to say, it should be noted they didn't really do much writing because they just, like, stared at each other all the time. There
1: you go. My (laughs) point is proven.
0: (laughs) All right, you're up. Tell us about your million books.
1: Okay, first, the one that I had completely forgotten. I mentioned it uh, because I was in progress of reading it, and then I finished it and forgot to talk about it. But it was, da-da-da, my second Grover Cleveland book. I didn't necessarily intend to read two Grover Cleveland books, but midway through the first one, I went to the library, and much as you have described, lo uh, and behold,
0: about that. there yeah.
1: was a new Grover Cleveland book. So I picked it up. I think I liked it even better. A Man of Iron, The Turbulent Life, and Improbable Presidency of Grover Cleveland by Troy Sinek. Uh, S-E-N-I-K. Very good read. Both of the Cleveland books I read were excellent. Uh, so he was represented well. It seemed oddly appropriate that I read two, though, because Cleveland is the only guy who we count as two different presidents because he's the only non-consecutive president at 22nd and 24th. So there was a certain odd appropriateness in reading two books about him.
0: It would be awesome if you could truthfully say that was on purpose, but it wasn't. It,
1: it was not. Uh, Cynic's book was a good overview of his life and his career. I felt like I came away with a much better knowledge of Big Steve, as Grover Cleveland was called. And yes. Why? Because he actually was Stephen Grover Cleveland.
0: (laughs) Big Steve. The
1: story that I love, though, I sent this to you when I was reading it. There was a story in there. He had much younger children. He married while he was president. Uh, He he was elected as a bachelor. He got married while he was in the White House. And one of his kids, post-presidency, came home from school talking about a girl in her class who had not gotten any Valentines. And this big gruff, again, he's Big Steve, you know, he's this tough, rough and tumble politician, but they look over and he's listened to her story and he's sitting there crying. And the next day he goes out and sends a little girl a Valentine from President Grover <laughs> Cleveland by gum. Uh, just, just stuff like that. It was an interesting way to learn about somebody, a complicated man, but... I think, a, a pretty decent person and would have been good company.
0: I think most of them are, and you have not yet found your next presidential book.
1: Actually, I have, if oh we're counting gosh. it this way, because and, and I have anyway, but that's another story. <laughs> I followed that by going with Benjamin Harrison by okay, Charles okay. W. Calhoun. Uh, this was one of the American Presidency series, so... It's short, which is probably good because, as I think I told my kids while I was reading it, Benjamin Harrison may be the last boring president uh, because once we get to William McKinley, we're into the 20th century. And for good or for bad, we have a little more of a fleshed-out persona of these people.
0: That makes sense.
1: I'm reading Carl Rove's book on William McKinley, just started it, but uh, we'll be interested to see how that one goes. Okay. But Benjamin Harrison by Charles Calhoun, very by the numbers. If you want just the facts, ma'am, it's fine, but I would highly recommend A Man of Iron and Grover Cleveland over Benjamin Harrison at this point. Uh, In non-presidential news, I read a book called The Ninth, which I talked about, Beethoven and the World in 1824 by Harvey Sachs, which is about Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Um, Writing about music is always tricky and the way that Sachs does it, which I think is really what you have to do, is to contextualize a lot, to put it in the step of history, to put it in the step of, of what people were doing musically. But Sachs's book really is often about politics and the way that Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, it, it had words, it had text, which was completely unusual. And he makes the point that because there was text, it really should be examined. I mean, the, the fact that you do something that people don't normally do—that should be a signal that this means something. And it's about brotherhood, and it's about the political future. I mean, you're coming out of this time in 1824 when you know it's kind of the last real run of, of potentates and dictators and monarchs, and and Beethoven is getting cranky and old and deaf, and is kind of chafing at that. Uh, and that's really a lot of what Sachs writes about. And I came away with with more of an understanding of, of the times of Beethoven. It made me want to listen to the Ninth Symphony, which might be a pretty good purpose of, of its own.
0: Interesting. And
1: then I read a book called Out of My League, A Rookie's Survival in the Bigs by Dirk Hayhurst.
0: Oh my gosh, you talked about this non-stop. So this was, I know, it was a good one.
1: I really did enjoy it. It's the second of Hayhurst's books that I've read. Dirk Hayhurst pitched very briefly in the major leagues, uh, but he's written, I believe, four books in total, and this is the second of them I've read. The Bullpen Gospels was the name of the first one, and it was good. I think I liked Out of My League even better, though. If you've ever wondered what it would be like to be a fringe player just on the edge of being a big league player, uh, or if you want to know what that's like in terms of a family life, uh, Hayhurst's book brings you the baseball stuff, but it's really more about who he is as a person and this fractured family that he's grown up in that he's trying to come to terms with, and he has fallen in love and is about to get married himself, and he has to come to terms with that. And having a job where you get paid peanuts and you're almost famous uh, is a complicator on all of those things. He's just a very genuine, upfront kind of writer, um you you really identify with him and with the dilemmas that he talks about he he tells his story well and makes it very approachable and accessible so if you care about that stuff again i like bullpen gospels a lot but this one was out of my league and i thought it was a great read really enjoyed it good deal well and that brings the mutual book up <gasps>
0: Oh, I talked about it last time a little bit, and our shared book for this week is Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. Since I talked about it some last time, you go ahead and start out with summary and your takes.
1: The summary is this is a retelling of David Copperfield set in, I would say, modern times, but it's set in the 1990s, at least mostly.
0: Yeah, mostly. I mean... yeah. More or
1: less modern, not quite modern. I think she did that so that the internet and cell phones and things like that wouldn't be a strangle on, on some of the plot points. But
0: Yeah, okay, yeah.
1: But uh, transpose it to more or less modern times and put it in Lee County, Virginia. Um, I, I tried not to rave, but I'm a, I'm going to rave. Um,
0: Go
1: for it. I thought this book was phenomenal. Um It was easy to pick up. It was impossible to put down. The thing with doing an adaptation of a classic novel like this is it's gotta be good. I mean, you're working head to head with David Copperfield.
0: And it's audacious to take on Dickens like that.
1: It is. It's it's a high bar to clear, and not only did Barbara Kingsolver clear it, I analogized it to you at one point. I said, I feel like this is the sort of thing where you can almost analogize it to to like your your fan universe, where there's a, a superhero movie or something. That's not really my thing, but something along those lines. And there's an original, and then there's a sequel. And I said, I feel like critics will read this and say, it's very good. It's no David Copperfield, but it's very good. But I said, if you're really one of the ones who gets it, sometimes the sequel... Through that fan's eyes, you go, no, 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 this was the real thing. This was the deeper thing. And that's the way I came away. I love David Copperfield. I read David Copperfield when we were in England. Mm -hmm. Um, So it had been a while. But at the same time, she just uses it as such a jumping off point to talk about so many contemporary issues. Well, she
0: uses his story to create something that's totally original and has a lot to say about... Issues that are not just affecting people in Appalachia, but that are affecting our entire society and really changing the face of our world today.
1: Very much. Uh, I mean, you're going to get orphans in foster care, you're going to get um, narcotic pain medication, you're going to get, you know, Addiction. coal mining. Yeah. I mean, you know, all of the, the bundle of sticks that come with the Appalachian story are going to be pulled apart here and examined one at a time.
0: Gainful employment, the prevalence of sports, the yeah, just yeah. everything.
1: Yeah, and always done with the same deft touch. And I think the thing for me is 50 pages into this book, I was just utterly convicted that I knew these people. This story was not my story, but I knew these people. I, I started to read about characters, and it brought... To mind things that I had known, that I had maybe not experienced firsthand, but that I experienced secondhand. I knew people who lived like this. I knew people who talked like this, who acted like this, uh, and or I knew these them very closely. Were yeah, this, this. And at one point, I said to you, I thought it was kind of funny. In many ways, I think Demon Copperhead is the book that I wanted J.D. Vance's book to be. And the funny thing is, J.D. Vance's Uh, hillbilly elegy is ostensibly true that's a little controversial demon copperhead is ostensibly fictional and yet in many ways the fiction felt truer than the truth yeah and and that's the mark of a master I mean that's that's what you want what are the books you can't put down the ones where the characters pop off the page and come to life and feel realer than reality
0: yeah I think I said last time that, for me, the first couple hundred pages were really hard. I struggle a lot. I know it's one of my uh, triggers, for lack of a better word, in a book. Um, The first part of this book is is demon growing up. Um, Very hard. Um, Foster care comes later, but the addiction of his mom, uh, a stepdad that he didn't want, all kinds of things abusive situations, neglected situations, just tore my heart to pieces. I wasn't sure I was going to finish this book. I wasn't sure I was going to continue. Um, But I did, and I was so glad that I did. I was glad that I had finished it when I was done, too, because when you read this book, it is absolutely masterful. But you, you feel... I'm, you don't feel like you've gone through it with them. They're going through things that you can't, that, that's not the right thing, but say it better than I can.
1: <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It's such a visceral book. It is hard to read at times, and I think would be even harder to read if these are first-person stories for you instead of second-person stories like they are for me. It still was hard for me to be reminded of things that I knew tangentially If this was your reality firsthand, it would be even heavier. It would be hard to get through at times. But I think the the ultimate test of the book is that it's worth getting through, that the ultimate message, just like David Copperfield, is that at the bottom of the ash can, there is always that indomitable human spirit that will find a way through whatever is set before it. And that's really ultimately what Everybody writes about, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's Faulkner. That's the Nobel Prize speech uh, that he gives. He talks about that exact thing. And I, I just have to tip my hat to Barbara Kingsolver for finding such a good toehold and just hanging on for dear life and telling the story and doing it well, in such a courageous way.
0: She got Demon exactly right and the voice of Demon yes. exactly right. Yes. And yes. that was the key to the whole thing.
1: It really is, uh, because it's such a delicate balance. I demon makes bad choices. Um, we, we have to, to identify with him and care about him through his bad choices, which, again, isn't that reality? Doesn't everybody make bad choices? Yeah. But his choices are probably worse than most of our choices. But then his is, uh, I wanted to say demons, but that feels a little <laughs> duplicitous here. Uh, his problems are a little deeper. They, they, they yeah, and you've seen it all cut with Cut deeper him. with him. You
0: understand his choices because of what you've seen with him through the entire story. But I feel like I never read David Copperfield, but I felt like, don't start with me, just <laughs> sitting here shaking your head. But I read a lot of Dickens, and I just felt like um, Demon, Dickens would have been proud of Demon. If Dickens was writing today, he would have wanted that character.
1: No, I mean I, I I think he would recognize him as one of his children. <laughs> yeah. His literary children, not his I think he would have recognized children.
0: himself in Demon because Davy Copperfield was really Dickens' own story.
1: Yeah, yeah, largely.
0: And I think that she's writing about the same kinds of things that he would be railing on about today as well.
1: I'd like to think of Charles Dickens as some kind of the eternal hillbilly. that uh,
0: <laughs> That's the image
1: I want right there. I love it. <laughs> but seriously, it, if it's not my book of the year, it's right there. It's as good as anything I've read. Have it's you ever read easy. anything else
0: by Barbara Felder?
1: I have not, so, okay. so it's I've funny you took you were talking earlier about your your lady you read the book by and you're like I haven't read any of her other things and she's really prolific and I thought hmm boy that sounds familiar. <laughs> well,
0: I mean I have read a ton of Poisonwood
1: Bible way. is is one I read I love
0: the Poisonwood Bible my first one that I read by her was uh, the Bean Trees probably everybody's first book by her uh, except <laughs> you <laughs> um, I think Pigs in Heaven was another one of hers I read a couple of her essay collections I read. Um, her last two novels, um, I, I really like Barbara Kingsolver a lot. I'm a huge fan of hers. This is her best novel.
1: That's a big statement, too. Yeah, I've said to you, I wanted to read more, but I'm afraid this one might have spoiled me. So.
0: <laughs> I think, okay, I, this is her best novel. And this is the one I think definitely for you would click most closely. Yeah. But you need to read the Poisonwood Bible. Put
1: and I it, think you'll like it. Put it on my list. But yeah, anyway, it, it was masterful and uh, put it on your list.
0: Yes, for real. Thank you for joining us with this. I know some of you all have been reading this as well. I've kind of been talking um, to our friend Haley about it. She's been reading it and just finished it up. Um, our friend Nathan on Instagram left us a note and let us know that he's been reading this as well. So, let us know what you thought about this book. Yeah. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Pod, on Twitter at Pod, or um, you can send us an email at uh, paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. This wraps up our regularly scheduled programming <laughs> for this year. The next time we come back in two weeks, we're going to be talking about our top books of the year. You like to rank them? Mm -hmm. One through ten, I like to just say these are the ones I loved.
1: But I want to encourage anybody. I know Andy I saw, uh, who's a longtime friend of the podcast, FOTP, as I like to think of it. Oh, don't Uh, do that. He doesn't get an acronym. (laughs) I think think the FOTPs deserve an acronym, thank you. He had his list of the best books he read, and uh, a couple of them on there that were books I read that uh, I could concur on. And then there was one on his list where I was like, ooh, ooh, been thinking about that one. So, you know, if you've got uh, some some books out there to campaign for, whether you do it on your social media or send us an email, however you want to do it, let us know because I love that stuff and I've heard from enough people who feel the same way Uh, I think it's just a a good act of benevolence to inflict on the world as you start 2023 to give them some of the the best stuff you've been reading.
0: It is. It's a really fun thing to do. Um...
1: Well, in any case, we'll uh, hope to hear from you. And until next time, whatever else you got going on, enjoy it, be safe, and for goodness sake, keep reading.